We back. What's going on, world? Welcome to Podcast Monday. Y'all know how we do every Monday. Extracting that genie from the experts. Today we got Dr. Kenya Naru Dennis on the line, man. And I'm excited about this episode. Another special one. Y'all know how we do for you guys every Monday. Activist, educator, sociologist, criminologist, criminal justice background, trainer, evaluator. Man, I could go on and on. Dr. Kenya Naru Dennis. And what, yo, she checked me. Um, she checked me, so be on the listen for that. She definitely checked me during this interview as far as language, as far as uh, just being mindful of what you say, being mindful of your words. So um, welcome to Podcast Monday. Y'all get your pen and pad out and get ready for another banger. Let's get it. Yeah, yeah, what's going on, world? We back with another From Hood to Good episode. Your boy, Ronnie Jacks, holding it down each and every day. Y'all know how we do. Today is another special episode for you guys lined up. I got Kenya Naru Dennis in the building. Uh, activist, educator, sociologist, representing um, diversity on many different levels. Uh, Kenya, say what's up to him. How you feeling today? Hey everyone, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. Mm. Now, Kenya, can you give us a little bit of your background? Tell us what got you started in this lane. Um, maybe where you're from. Just a just a little bit about you know your background and everything. Okay, so I'm Dr. Kenya Nuru Dennis. I'm an activist, sociologist, criminologist, educator, and founder of 365 Diversity. And you can go to my website, 365diversity.com. And I'm born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. I lived in North Carolina for 17 years. That's where I got my PhD. And I was also a professor there. And now I live in Baltimore, Maryland. And so how I got to where I am is from thousands of years of African knowledges, centuries, our knowledges on the Western Hemisphere. And thankfully, coming from a Black family that's based in knowledge, activism, and education, in which I was taught to not rely on what white people tell me and not pretend that we are not descendants of thousands of years of knowledges. Mm. So that shaped a lot of what I do. Mm. Bars right there. Um. Yeah, guys, I want to be fully transparent. Kimia and I, Dr. Kimia and I, actually, um, this is our second go at it. (laughs) Um, The first one didn't go too well. I wouldn't say didn't go too well. It didn't line up as planned. I want to be fully transparent with you guys and remind y'all that um, nobody's perfect. We could plan. We could plan a pretty picnic, but we can't predict the weather. Things happen of that nature. And I want to say publicly, thank you, Dr. Kenya, for your time on this interview and let all my viewers know and remind them that um, we're literally from hood to good and we live this in every aspect. So Dr. Kenya, sincerely, thank you live in front of our audience, you know, and I appreciate your time here. Thank you. And for the Black folk listening who don't know real hip hop, 
if you don't know the reference of the we can paint a pretty picture, but we can't prevent the re uh, predict the weather, um, I'm going to clown you for not knowing Andre 3000. Right, you know, right. <laughs> Y'all, it's hip hop, old school hip hop lyrically goes with everything. There's a lyric for everything in our lives. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Now that that's out the way, Dr. Kenya, um, you place a lot of emphasis on identities, experiences, things that shape people's lives and, you know, how they are treated. Um, just remind us a little bit about your company, what, what you guys do, what, what, how, how you guys are making an impact, because I think it's amazing. Some things do tend to get, um, you know, not, not the limelight that they deserve. So can you tell us a little bit about 365 Diversity, what it is, how can people find you? Thank you. So yeah, so it's 365diversity.com. And I'm a solopreneur, which means that it's me. I don't have any employees. And it's based in what I've been doing for more than a decade. As Black women in particular, we have a tendency to do a whole lot of volunteerism. We volunteer on board of directors. We volunteer in Black community work. We volunteer to do trainings. We just everywhere because we, most of us are taught to help our people. And we oftentimes sacrifice ourselves to help our people. And then we wake up and find out that people are getting paid a lot of money to do what we have been doing for free for a long time. And so I encourage our people in particular to understand that we have black people who are doing this work. We are doing work to change everything about schools. We're changing materials in libraries. We're, we're working to make changes. When people say changes are impossible, they're not impossible. They just require you to understand that changes will outrage people. There's no such thing as a change where everyone's sitting around smiling. If everyone's smiling, especially the oppressors, then that means changes cannot happen. And so with this work, when you go to my website, you scroll down and I say scroll down because too many people are clicking on websites and they don't realize that I don't have any secret information. I literally put everything on the website that you can find out. You can find many of my previous interviews. You can find my resume. You can find my photos. There's no mystery here. And so I encourage you to check it out. And we're talking about results-based work. So we're not talking about New York Times bestseller books. We're not talking about just getting a, a new class, a new certification, a new training, because I tell people that if the only thing you want to do is read a book together or take a class together, then I'm focused on the people who actually want to make some changes, changing medical and health services, removing police, all that. We're talking about the real work that um, political parties and politicians don't want to do. And so I'm trying to also do what we've done for centuries, increasing Black consciousness, Black knowledge, Black awareness, so that we can make choices. That's the part of freedom, Black liberation. And this includes all of our people. So when we're talking about dismantling power disparities, it includes within Black families, Black communities. We don't have a ranking of Blackness within our people. So if you're one of those Black folk who think that this is real Black, 
but these people are not really black and you use religion or whatever nonsense to support that, I'm not the space for you because my collaboration is 100% about the underserved, minoritized black folk within blackness. Mm, mm, yes, I love it. I love it. Um, I did my research. Dr. Kimia has a reputation of telling it like it is. You guys are buckle your seatbelts. We just getting started. <laughs> You're about to get the real of real. Um, now, Dr. Kimia, I have a question. And you know, I know for me personally, um, I am a hundred percent into my blackness. It but it didn't happen overnight. It kind of stemmed from um just it, actually, if if I'm really being truly transparent, it stemmed from 9-11. I was one of those people who, oh, the news is going to tell us the truth all the time. They are going to be 100% honest with everything. And uh, I mean, some people may not agree with me. I'm okay with that. But that uh, research into, you know, kind of just looking into things, it kind of opened doors, other doors, other areas that I had no idea existed. Can you tell us what kind of, what was that like piece of information for you that really said, this is something here that kind of caused you to just geek out and say, I need to learn more. I need to figure out more. Like, okay, if, if I could make this question a little more clear, um, <laughs> once I like looked into 9-11, um, you know, I believe it's something bigger than planes. I'll just say that. And looking into that led into the Kennedy part. Um, and it like, so it was like the 9-11 piece was a bit of the first pieces of information I received that kind of like opened these doors that led into a whole lot of things. We got inventors, creators. Our history is so incredibly, um, like, I don't even have a word for it. It's just so, so many fruits in our history that we don't, that we are unaware of. What was that like one piece that kind of triggered everything for you? Was it how you were growing up? Did your parents always kind of instill this knowledge in you? Were you like myself at one point, just believing the news, everything? Like what what kind of um started this this journey on, on a more personal level, if you don't mind tapping into that? Okay. So I'm born and raised Richmond VA, the second capital confederacy. My parents are black sociologists. Uh, they have a background of pan-African pro-blackness. So they raised my three brothers and me in a household where we were taught and required to learn. We were required to do reading. We were required to watch Tony Brown's journal. So for the black folk listening to this who don't know Tony Brown's journal, you better do an internet search and go to Mr. Tony Brown's website and you can purchase a membership on Tony Brown's journal. And it has all of the episodes that we used to watch in the eighties and nineties. He was one of the first journalists to do a show about issues such as us burning our hair with hair relaxers and all of that. And my parents forced us to watch that. They forced us to watch BT News back when they actually had news because BT actually used to provide a lot of resources for Black people. And my parents just, they really just wanted us to understand that the knowledge we're being shown some of it is factual knowledge, but it's not the only factual knowledge. White people do not determine what's fact. Tens of thousands of years, white people are not the creators and controllers of all the knowledges around the world. And so 
and this is 529 years so far when you're talking about the origins of racial categories, this stolen land, indigenous people from thousands of thousands of indigenous cultures murdered, which is why indigenous people are among the smallest of the population in the United States of America and Canada and South America and the Caribbean, despite this originally being indigenous land, right? And then we talk about our people, Africans who were enslaved and they're still enslavement because that's the foundation of colonialism and Christian missionaries, which includes Catholic missionaries. And so for some people, September 11, 2001 was this eureka moment. Just like for a lot of people, they're pretending that 2016 was the change maker or they're pretending that 2019 was a change maker or they're pretending that 2020 with COVID, with George Floyd protests and the Derek Chauvin case. I just tell adults in particular, whatever your change moment of consciousness is, be honest that you intentionally chose to lack awareness of facts long before that. So whenever people come to me and they're saying, I'm just recognizing injustices, I don't applaud them. Because I think it's extremely embarrassing for adults to just wake up and notice something outside of their own vicinity and it's extremely embarrassing for them individually, but then when you look at the aggregate level, we're talking about adults who are school officials, they're school decision makers, they're in charge of school accreditation, they're in charge of politics, they're in charge of making standardized tests. These are school teachers, these are school counselors, these are school social workers, these are police officers, they're chief of police, they're medical and health professionals, they're medical doctors, they're nurses. In other words, these are people who are ignorant, but they literally control our life and our resources. Like, mm. what does it mean when somebody who is a librarian who controls everything that's in the library and they control the annual assessments of the library to determine what materials to get rid of and what materials to keep in, what does it mean when in 2020, they're talking about, oh, there's racial inequities. That's extremely, not just embarrassing, but it shapes every generation, not just in America, but Canada, South America's Caribbean and around the world. Because when we talk about 529 years of white control, that's around the world. Even though white people are about 11% of the world. And so I want people to just understand what that means. It's beyond just individual level. It's what is it representing for the people whose decisions control our lives and our money? Mm, right. Yeah, man. Um, it's a it's a lot of work to be done. I I will. Yeah, I, and I salute you on the work that you're doing. Um, you you touch up on a lot of different areas. Um, specifically diversity, what made you kind of go into the diversity scene as opposed, you could have, um, let's say, gone into women's rights or anything, like why diversity? Why do you think that's important? Why even name your company 365 Diversity? Um, tell, tell us a little bit about that. All right, so I got into this work 
over 10 years ago, when I started being on board of directors, I sat through tons of pointless trainings, meaningless committees, including in academia when I was still full-time faculty. And it was the same routine over and over again. Whenever they would say, we wanna talk about inclusion and justice, if it was racial inclusion and justice, it was 100% about white people being comfortable and white people approving. When it was about gender inclusion and gender justice, it was about cisgender people and men being happy. So cisgender is reference to your biological sex and then your gender identity. Like I'm a cisgender woman, which means I'm considered biological female based on estrogen and body parts and then social identify as a woman. And if it's disability services we're talking about, it was about people who were able health as long as they approved. And so I went through years of that nonsense to the point where I started being the person who offended people. Cause like, I'm, I'm, I don't believe in sitting in trainings talking about inclusion and all that matters is that white people are happy. Cause I don't play make believe. Mm. I don't. And I just tell people when we're talking about inclusion, it's not theoretical. It's not racial justice, but only with white people's signature. Needing white people's signature is not racial justice. Even if you say, well, how can we be successful if we don't have white people's grant funding for our nonprofit? You gotta still be honest about what that implies. That means you're not gonna do anything that offends white people. Therefore, do not declare yourself a racial justice focused nonprofit created by black people for black people. You're not created for us. You're created for white people because that's why it's based on white people's money. So I named myself 365 Diversity because when I still lived in North Carolina and I was still a professor there, I was told, Dr. Dennis, you clown a lot of these trainings. You, you make fun of them a lot. So now you got to say, what are you doing that's beyond what's being done already? And that's when I said, okay, well, I believe diversity is 365. It's 24-7, 365. It's every day. It's every aspect of our lives. Like me, I'm a Black woman with disability. Therefore, my Blackness and my womanhood and my disability never separate. So my Pan-African pro-Black, I never collaborate with Black organizations that believe that men have to be dominant. We're all in this together. So I don't silence my my womanhood, I don't silence my disability. <clears throat> Same thing when I connect with disability organizations, if they're white control, which most are, I tell them that it's not for me because literally every aspect of myself is everywhere. And the same applies when we're talking about LGBTQIA people. You don't have to distinguish that. You don't have to say, oh, I'm not gay here, I'm black. No, you are who you are everywhere. And so 365 diversity represents that. You don't have to silence one minoritized identity to highlight another. It literally coexists 24-7, 365. And a lot of people use Kimberly Crenshaw's wonderful intersectionality to express that. But I want people to understand that people have explained that for thousands of years, how we have multiple identities and multiple experiences. So that's why I named myself and uh, the business 365 Diversity after years of doing consulting work. And I don't use white people's dictionary definitions for concepts like uh, diversity and racism and so forth. Instead, I use 
centuries of indigenous and black work where we explain diversity is not just tokenizing us and telling me to show up with my Afro or my locks smiling so you can put my name on something. It's when Dr. Dennis shows up, whether it's on a board of directors, a presentation, I'm gonna say what I say. And a lot of times people will be outraged because they really just wanted a Negro woman to show up so they could put my name on stuff. But that's not what diversity means. Diversity means that we are here, our voices matter, not just matter in terms of you quoting us for something, but they matter in terms of you cannot attack us because we are forming support systems so that we don't have to be silenced for fear of being punished. So that's what 365 diversity represents. It represents not just honest dialogue, but making some honest changes, but also telling people don't celebrate the change because the moment you're celebrating is when the oppressor is working to reverse the change. So, you know, that's the whole third eye you're blind. Keep that third eye open because the oppressor wants you to have a cookout to celebrate Juneteenth being a federal holiday like that matters. <laughs> yeah, I don't celebrate yeah. federal. I don't celebrate federal holidays. So like um, for me, I celebrate Juneteenth every year. I used to be one of the co-planners for a festival. And so for me, I don't operate based on what the federal government says regarding that, because what they're accustomed to doing is telling black people to celebrate bare minimum based on this expectation that we'll be so busy frying some fish and boiling some crab meat that we won't notice that they've now worsened police funding and school curriculum and medical and health services. It's based on this falsehood that black people are stupid. And it's not just white conservatives and Republicans who believe that. Democrats, white liberals, white progressives, white anti-fascists, it's all based in five centuries of white people believing that we're stupid people who can be controlled and we need white people as our spokespersons and saviors. And that's literally both political parties. And that's, so 365 diversity combats that as well. So when I do this work, I, I tell white people, men, cisgender, heterosexuals, you know, religious majority, which is Christians, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Christians on Western hemisphere, that this is literally not based on your comfort and permission. It's really based on the underrepresented and underserved people within these categories. Mm. Man, I'm I'm loving it. You are touching like so many areas that I've I've looked into. I haven't um I wouldn't say I was, you know, the guy. I you know, I'll be honest, I wasn't the guy literally in the streets, you know, guns ablaze, ready to go to war. Um, I, I, I would say I, I, I kind of did my own part. And I come to find out when you bring awareness, when you begin to bring awareness, you're stepping on people's toes. You know, some people, it's sad to say, don't want um, our history, our culture, not just Black people, Indigenous people. Um, they kind of suppress it. I see it a lot with especially religion. I see that happening. And um, yeah, I, I just just hearing you speak, I'm knowing that, oh man, you know, there are going to be some toes stepped on. There are going to be some people who don't want to hear this information, who 
regardless of how much it may be true, how much um, evidence points to the accuracy of everything that you're saying, they're going to be people who are just, no, like, shut up. You know, pretty, for lack of better, I just say they're, they're going to be people who, who are going to want to say, shut up, go sit in the back, play your role, know your role. <laughs> you know, and I'm just using those terms very loosely. Um, what are like some challenges that you are currently having? Some of the things that you see, even to this day, that have been going on for so long, so, so long. What are some of like the commonalities, some of the things that uh, you guys haven't caught on to this by now? Like, or, or just basically some of the challenges that you have um, as you're doing this work. We would like to know. Okay. So one of the challenges is what people consider normal, things that people do every day that they don't understand the foundation of. And that includes terminology and language. So for example, you keep saying you guys. Guys is based in male and boys and men. People consider guys to be a gender neutral language, but it's not, okay? And so even things mm, like that- Got me. <laughs> I know. Well, I was waiting for you to stop it yourself, but you weren't going to, and I was going to keep being a guy. And here's the difference. So when I go into a room of all men, including all cisgender, heterosexual Black men, what I do is I show them language. So I'll go into a room and say, what's up, gals? And they instantly like, gals, what's that? I said, oh, okay. So you all are accustomed to coming to a room, even full of women, and saying, what's up, guys? But you don't can't handle when it's thrown back at you in the form of gals. And I used to tutor Black men football players at two universities. And that's one thing that I, I taught them because thankfully, some of the Black men, they're now much older now. But at first, they initially were holding on to like that traditional, what we call hegemonic masculinity that is taught in many African cultures. Now, not all African cultures for thousands of years are patriarchal, but contrary to what a lot of people claim, some were patriarchal back then. White people did not create patriarchy, sexism, and misogyny. And so a lot of times these young black men, when they would come to college, they really think that there's a certain way to be masculine, a certain way to be a man, and especially like a black boy and a black man. And it took me having conversations for them to be like, yeah, that's interesting. So like in sociology, we talk about situational manhood and situational masculinity. And so for some of these young Black men, what does that mean? I said, well, here's an example. Like when y'all are on the football field, you smack each other on the butt. Sometimes for no reason, sometimes, right? Or, or like after somebody do the field goal, you jump on each other. I be clowning y'all, be like, okay, y'all jumping on each other now. But what if you were just literally just at the grocery store and one of you walked up and said, yo, I found the cornbread, smack on that ass. You probably fight in the grocery store aisle because you'd be like, why you smack me on the ass, right? And so that's an example of situational masculinity where something like smacking on the butt can be considered appropriate in one circumstance and the other, you're kind of like, why are you doing that? Okay, so different perceptions of appropriateness. And so just understanding that, understanding our language. You know, we're talking about things that we were taught in our families and in our communities. We're talking about things that we do in school and at work. And when you think about it, you're like, why do I do this? Why, you know, who taught me this? <laughs> 
And, and so a lot of times as sociologists, criminologists, we just tell people, you can't change everything you've been taught since birth. Cause like since birth, we're literally taught a lot of things such as racial, ethnic, language, religion, gender identity. You know, people assign you a gender, even though they don't know your gender identity, they're just assuming based on what you look like, right? These are things that we can't remove all of it because you'll literally exhaust yourself for the rest of your life. But you do want to challenge some things, like some things you say and do. You want to research and be like, am I using the correct language? Or am I saying some things that I've been brainwashed to think are appropriate? And that happens a lot in schools as well. Would you say, um, because I totally agree with that. I, I believe, I strongly believe that the, the more you learn, the more you realize you know nothing. I think, um, I, I said, and I said this uh, previously, maybe in like one of the other episodes or something like that, that um, like 500 years ago, we like we look at information from 500 years ago and we laugh. Oh, the, the earth was flat, you know. And I believe that 500 years from now, we're going to look at some of the ideas and and some of the things that we believe to be oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were breathing, they thought they were breathing air, you know, just something like off the wall. I kind of um, like to really invoke thought. I think thought uh, really takes us a lot of places. And um, yeah, a lot of people don't think sadly, but uh, you mentioned that, and, and I'm trying to be mindful of the words I use even because that, that wasn't, I was using it un like unknowingly. It's, it's just like kind of like embedded in. Um, would you say like language is the top thing that we need to change? Is this something more important? Does it start with language? Because I, I also know that um, awareness does play a factor, you know, just to become aware of these things. So does does this like kind of some of some of these changes that need to happen? Does it begin with language? Like, where do, where do you think we uh, need to put most of our efforts, most of our focus? Where does the, the kind of battle begin from your perspective? Yeah, so I don't think there's a real neutral starting point. Like I always tell black people, we don't have a town hall where we say, here's where we're starting. Because literally, we're talking about tens of thousands of years of people for some identities, right? Like racial, racial categories were created by a white man more than five centuries ago. But for many other identities like sexuality, gender, didn't use that terminology, but they've existed for tens of thousands of years, right? So... When people say, where should we start? It really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to change your own self, you gotta first start by admitting that all people have flaws, subjectivity, and biases and assumptions. I don't believe in bias training. So whenever people tell me they're doing a bias training or they are a trainer for bias trainings, I consider implicit and unconscious bias trainings to be scams, money-making schemes. And that's important to highlight because police departments brag about doing bias trainings. And you can see the outcomes are, for those are meaningless. And medical and health professionals do bias trainings. And you could see that when we do research, medical and health outcomes, medical and scientific racism of five centuries have not reduced based on bias trainings the sexism of medical and health facilities, Black women in particular suffering and struggling and dying, that has not reduced based on how many bias trainings you've done. 
the issue is 100% about stolen and abused power. And that's one thing that I tell people everywhere I go. So that's one place to start. One place to start is we all have assumptions. We all have biases. We all are taught a certain thing. There's no such thing as an objective science. So when we talk about facts, whether it's social science, whether it's chemistry, whether it's biology or any form of science, there's no such thing as 100% objectivity. There are things that we consider facts. But like you said, a century from now, even 10 years from now, we're going to find new things. That's one thing that I always teach students and general communities, that when you're reading this work, remember the demographics and the cultures of the people who did this research, the demographics of the cultures of the people who wrote it, who write the textbooks, who publish it. One thing you'll find is that in schools, K through 12, and colleges and universities in most of the world, nearly all journal articles and textbooks are written and published by white people, particularly white men, but always with support from white women. So I never allow white women to pretend to just be innocent bystanders. And so that's important to know, right? Because if you're accepting something as fact in chemistry, you have to then say, why is this fact when we have tens of thousands of years of various forms of science from the African continent, from the Asian span, from indigenous Aboriginal people? These resources were stolen by white people. They've gotten lost, similar to when we talk about religious texts and documents that are lost and stolen and misrepresented. So when people talk about facts, I want them to understand that learning mathematics, learning sciences, learning arts, literatures, histories, if you're taught that people, mostly British white people, are the main creators and presenters of this stuff, you're not learning facts. You're learning white people's approved facts. You're learning what white people have told you is knowledge. And you can change that because there are, fortunately, you can find some Aboriginal and African and Asian original works, but unfortunately, those are difficult to find, especially in libraries and schools. Why? Because they've been intentionally stolen and put in museums or discarded. And sometimes when they finally are published, they're published by white people. So then you want to ask, is this the original work or is this what white people considered important enough to republish? So these are all various things to think about for our life. Think about the language we use. Doesn't mean, you know, again, I don't believe in bias training, so I want people to get past this whole, are you a good person nonsense? Because when we're talking about white terrorism for five centuries, it's not about, it's really not about who white people voted for. It's not about white people smiling and hugging at us, just like men can be very, loving people on the outside, but they go home every day and they beat up their wives. That's thousands of years of domestic violence, right? So we want people to get beyond right. that surface level. Right, yeah, right. excuse me. Yes, <laughs> it is some gems being dropped here. Um, and I wanna remind you people, not you guys, you people, <laughs> to um, check out 365diversity.com. A lot more of the info is there. Um, check it out, you know, do yourself a favor, just in, in, in 
help yourself, help yourself to the website. Um, Dr. Kimia, you also mentioned something like you said with the language and I'm, I'm, I also believe that language, um, you have to be very aware of, of some of the things you say, even when it comes down to self-talk, um, all things of that nature, just the language that you use, um, words have power. We overlook that a lot. And you mentioned something in, in one of your, um, and as far as like things that would be a, a, a solid topic to talk about, which was racism and races. Um, I, I, I'll just come off the cuff with my little perception and maybe you could, um, you know, just open our third, fourth eye, whatever on, on the topic. But um, you said you said something to the degree of an individual white person can't be racist. Um, me, myself, I believe racism is systematic. There's a lot of white people, it's even evidence, who contribute to this um, racist society, and they aren't even aware of it. Um, the uh, situations last year with the George Floyd and, and, and things of that nature kind of opened up people's eyes to, oh, I didn't even know I was like being racist. How Can you kind of touch up on like how your definition of racism, how racism isn't just one person, it's, it's kind of like a group thing. Can you kind of, um, you know, educate us on, on that, if you don't mind? Okay. So to clarify, I never said individual white people cannot be racist. I've said for 20 years that I do not care about individual level racism. So I say that because I am not the Black person who will sit and waste my life debating with white people at the individual level about whether they're racist. Let me repeat stand that. Stand corrected. I stand corrected, yes. got you. <laughs> right, because white people, and that includes white liberals, white anti-fascists, white progressives, and white Democrats, will waste your entire life talking to them about their individual biases. They will say, I donate to anything to distract from the larger end goal of addressing measurable changes to schools, removing police, changing medical and health services, changing workforce development, changing the court and penal system. White people will waste your time trying to talk to them about whether they individually have racist beliefs and behaviors. I don't do that which is why white people get even more outraged because they are accustomed for centuries with you literally wasting time on white approval and white people being able to explain themselves. So I don't focus on white explanations. Instead, I go into and say, all white people are contributors to and benefactors of racism. All white people, which includes the white people who specialize in dismantling racism. They too, cannot contribute to dismantling it without first understanding how they are a component of it. And many white people, fortunately, who I collaborate with, including my white friends, completely understand that without me having to hug them, without me having to thank them, I don't believe in a such thing as ally. I don't use any of that terminology. And that's important because there are too many black people who are doing a 12 years of slave routine. Many black people are running around focusing 100% on making sure white people feel safe. I'm, you know, I specialize in health equity, particularly black mental health, black suicide, 
and Black physical health. And I've, I've been in so many trainings and I've conducted many trainings in which the moment white people start to cry, the Black people in the room stand up right, talking about right. their defense. And I say, sit down. White people do not need your defense. Like literally these health organizations are controlled by white people and your black self who is scared of losing a job every day are defending the people who control your job. That's the brainwashing that I call 12 years a slave. You know, cause 12 years a slave is based on a real life story of a black man who while his people are enslaved, he think it's a good idea cause he's further up North to get drunk with some white men, right? Um, so what does it mean to be hoodwinked, bamboozled, and led astray to believe that in the midst of oppressions, you somehow are the good Negro, right? And that's why I always have to remind our people, if you're wasting time tutoring individual white people about their own thoughts and beliefs, you're ignoring what most of these white people are doing when they go to work and they are the decision makers for your employer, when they are the decision makers for school materials, when they're the decision makers for the policies and practices of medical and health facilities that disproportionately they teach in medical and health schools and medical and health trainings that black people tend to have a higher pain threshold. Like that's the stuff that matters, not whether that white person is wasting your time explaining whether they feel a certain way. That doesn't matter. I tell white people every day, all I literally care about is your actions and how you are working to dismantle that which you claim to not personally subscribe to. If you don't subscribe to white superiority, then work to dismantle that from schools. I should not be reading a bunch of white people's stuff as though white people are the creators of knowledge and resources, okay? And that's very important. We don't need white saviors. We don't need white rescuers. We instead need white people who understand that I don't give ally awards. Instead, I give out accountability and consistency. So... That's important to highlight because too many Black people during the George Floyd protests, they they started marveling these white people showing up at riots. And they even had, Black folk had nerve to tell me that I was ungrateful. I said, so you're willing to attack a Black woman who has done this work for a long time, based in centuries of our work, in, in order to defend white people who are, by the way, showing up because COVID quarantining, so they don't have to go to school. They don't have to go to work. So they're showing up to these protests. These white people are getting a lot of attention because they're fighting the police, taking photos, posting it under a hashtag. And you all are so easily impressed right. that now you're pretending that this is the result. And so, of course, as we always told people, is that this is what we call short-term convenient consciousness. All white people, and when I say white people, I'm literally making a general statement because that's what we do in the social sciences. So if you're a white person, whoever's listening is a white person who is offended and they care more about announcing not all white people, then you are an example of white supremacy. Because if you care more about announcing yourself as an exception than you care about dismantling the larger theme for five centuries, then you are white supremacist as well. So that's why I don't waste time trying to convince individual white people of 
their own beliefs. Instead, I say, let's look at what you allow. Let's look at what you contribute to. So for me as a cisgender heterosexual woman, when I am a supporter with LGBTQIA people, particularly black and brown LGBTQIA people, that 100% requires me to internalize my cisgender heterosexual identity, the things that I am allowed to do because I'm cisgender heterosexual, and I have to work every single day to dismantle that power. Therefore, I don't just show up at pride parades and expect people to say, here's an ally button, we worship you. And I go to pride parades or to meetings and black and brown, uh, excuse me, black and brown LGBTQIA people often ignore me. Why? Because this is not my space to control. It's not my space to be thanked. And so I want black people to understand how that translates to how we need to address racial injustices and racism. The oppressors should never be thanked in order to dismantle their oppressions. Like if white people are telling you that you made them angry, therefore they're no longer gonna work to dismantle white supremacy, that means they, they were not dismantling it in the first place. It was all about their comfort and them remaining in power from day one. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, so like I, I, I'm, I'm a simple guy. I like to, you know, and, and like I like to uh, just make things. Well, I'm a simple person. <laughs> See, that's that awareness kicking in. Thank you for that. Um, she are a man. So if you call yourself a guy, that's different than calling guys like a universal term. You identify as a guy. So that's you. Okay. That's okay. Different. Okay. Well, I'm a simple person. I don't want to, you know, start a fight. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just joking around. Um, but I, I am aware that like some people, when you, when you, I am all for it. I want that to be known. Like <laughs> there's some things that I'm not even going to say or the live. I won't even post it here that, that I personally believe in that. Um, yeah, I just wouldn't share. I think some things are best kept unsaid, um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, I'm aware that like some of the things that you're saying, you can go into a room and people would be like, oh, you can't say that. Um, if we could simplify things for those people, because I know that you aren't racist. I know that you care for people as a whole. Like I can I can pick up on these things pretty easily. Um, I think most people can if they kind of just tap into, you know, our, our, our oneness, our, not our, just our individualities, but our similarities. And like, um, some people would say, hey, you like, why are you saying this? Why are you doing this? If you could simplify it for those people, I think um, like the goal, just simplify the goal. What is what is why even bring these things up? Like some people even say, man, forget that stuff. It's in the past. Like we're moving forward, da, 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 all the things of that nature. If you could simplify it for, let's say, a two year old, a child, someone growing up. What are some of the like main takeaways, the main goal of your personal mission that you would just want them to grasp onto, even if they kind of reject the whole? Because even sometimes when you bring, even say the word white people, it kind of gets this, this like, where are you going with this? You, it's like you're playing a racist card. You know, it, it, am I making sense? Like, can you just summarize the so, goal, the mission? So there's step one. Did you say that I'm not racist? Is that what you said? 
I don't believe you are racist. No, <laughs> there's no such thing. First of all, black people don't don't do that. There's no such thing as racism against white people. There's no such thing as reverse racism. Okay. I want black people to stop going based on dictionary definitions. Instead, learn what black people have said for five centuries, including black activists, black scholars, such as Dr. W.B. Du Bois, who's also a black sociologist, black criminologist, people like Ida B. Wells, people, black people do this work everywhere around the world. So there's, there's no such thing as black racism or indigenous racism against white people. We can, black and brown people, we can be abusive against each other in terms of stolen and abuse power, but there's no such thing as racially abusing white people. I agree. So even when you, white people are about 11% of the world's population. Most continents are black and brown people, but white people still control most of the world. So that includes places like Jamaica, where white people are a very small percentage of the population, but white people make the majority of profit from tourism, for example. So therefore, white people are not oppressed just because white people are the population size minority, because white people still tend to be the power majority when you look at who are, who are the decision makers. Beyond the black people you see at the forefront, who are the main decision makers in much of this work? So I don't, and I'm telling all the black folk this, don't ever tell me that I am not racist, okay? Because you've been brainwashed to believe that there's a such thing as racism against white people and there's no such thing. Stop using the dictionary definition of racism and stop going based on what offended white people say, okay? So that's step one. Step two, <clears throat> you say, how would I explain this if people are two years old or something like that? Right, right. Well, first of all, I don't know about you all, but I learned about this stuff in preschool and I didn't learn about it using baby talk. I learned about it using real life examples of white people being in control and particularly since I'm born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. So. I explain this, number one, in terms of stop pretending that there's a such thing as white people who are racially underrepresented, racially oppressed. Stop playing that white people game because the moment you start playing that game, it confirms what white people have done for 529 years already. White people do not need your support in that. They do not need your defense in that and so forth. There was something else I was going to say, but I forgot it that quickly. But maybe you can remind me. What else you were saying? Um, just the goal, you know, the goal here. Um, uh -huh. Like you said, if we were going to break it down to a two-year-old, uh, the youth, if we were going to just simplify things, like what is the ultimate mm -hmm. um, goal with, with your mission? Like your, you know. My ultimate goal is highlighting how as, as long as humans exist for thousands of years, as long as we are still ruining the planet and ruining the universe, there's always going to be racism. There's always going to be sexism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, classism. That's always going to exist. Within our lifetime, we can lay the groundwork and make our contribution to dismantling all of that. But we always need to contribute to it to the point where when we are gone, we're leaving something behind for other people to 
contribute to. And so that's something very important that we always have to highlight. Hold on one second, please. No problem. All right, so that's something we always have to do to work on in our lifetime. So when people say, what is your end goal? My end goal is I lay the groundwork that has already been established for thousands of years and centuries in the Western Hemisphere is I help people to not only understand the many problems in all aspects of our lives, but how to make changes. I truly do not care about people's bestseller books. I don't care about people's book club gatherings. I don't care about how many committees they're forming. I don't care about how many trainings they've had. I focus on what did you all really accomplish beyond saying, we're going to do this. The same thing we tell these politicians, right? Because people are like, oh, these political parties are forming committees. You know, as a taxpayer and or a voter that you should not celebrate these politicians' committees. Why? Because committees are 100% about distracting you and in these committee meetings, nothing's getting done. The same thing pertains to our everyday lives, whether it's looking at your family and making changes in your family. The biggest thing for me to tell people is you gotta highlight things like mental health and everything else in your life. For example, being black is not synonymous with oppression. We can talk about our racial identities without equating it to racism. And for 10 years, I taught race and ethnic relations course. And I always had to highlight particularly to indigenous students, black students, non-white Hispanic, non-white Latin students in particular, that when I ask you about the history of your people, you better not start off with slavery. You better not talk about right. just Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and so forth. You need to understand your history, your identity, and your experiences that do not include any mention of white people, okay? You can eventually discuss white people if you want to. You can eventually talk about injustices, but you also got to understand these injustices that include white people's dogs killing us and white people taking postcards of us being lynched, but it also needs to address the injustices happening in literally every school. And I'm gonna say this again, literally every school, there are injustices happening. So that's the short version I want people to understand. What are you doing to make changes? Or if you're gonna say, I don't care about making changes, I'm just living life. Okay, but highlight me about this. If you don't care, I don't wanna see you at the next march down the street, taking photos, putting it on Instagram, and all right. of a sudden you're pretending to care just to seem like you're a proactive Black person. <clears throat> if, if anyone's familiar with the old school intelligent hoodlum MC from that, the old That's school, a rapper? From the, from the old, see y'all some, y'all, y'all young folks. Okay, so old school <laughs> intelligent hoodlum, changed his name. But that's the old school group main source. And they made a song back in the 90s called You're Faking the Funk. So that's what I always tell people. Stop faking the funk, right? Inclusion is not a part-time thing. Yes, we all make mistakes, but we have to be honest about how we help perpetuate injustices 
and families. That's like if you're someone who claims to be eco-friendly and you want to save the world from pollution, but you yourself don't recycle. Either you're going to change that or at least be honest that you're jacking up the system that you claim that you want to fix. And so that's what I want people to hold themselves accountable. If you're talking about dismantling white supremacy and improving pro-Blackness and improving Black cultures, I want Black people in particular to understand, don't rely on these politicians. That includes Black politicians. Don't rely on these political parties. Uh, we pay some of the highest taxes, so I do want our people to vote, but I want us to really, really, really focus on local stuff. What's happening locally? Because it's so often the case that Black people are all on social media celebrating these politicians in other cities and other states. Here's the thing, you so busy celebrating these people from a distance, and then there's our people literally right beside you struggling. Right. That goes back to what Intelligent Hulum said, you faking the funk. If our people are struggling in the midst of you and then you're bragging about joining some kind of presidential campaign, I'm clowning you. Same way I'm clowning you if you celebrate July 4th, I'm clowning. Why? Because this is not just about individual personal opinion. It's about the fact that you are trying to be two-faced. You're trying to say that you're really reaching your people. But then again, you walking by our people every day and not saying, what can I do to help these billions of Black people? Including when you, like I live in Baltimore, Maryland now. There are many Black organizations and Black businesses that are working hard to address Black substance use because Black people and Indigenous people come from centuries of opioid addiction. And it wasn't until white people were found to have high opioid addiction over the past 10 years that they said it's a crisis. So if you're walking around and seeing our people addicted to substances, which includes alcohol, because that's often used as a way to handle stress in Black communities. If you're walking around seeing the police being present and you're not saying, wow, there's so many Black organizations who need my help, then that's on you. Not you, Ronnie, but you know, our people. I, I want our people to understand. I want our people to understand politicians are literally not here to save you. They're here to promise you stuff based on this idea, especially for Black people, that you're going to vote, and especially for Democrat, regardless of what they do, and that you're not going to complain, okay? And you're going to continue ignoring the central focus of the problem. So I just want our people to understand that there's literally black organizations that have existed forever. They're struggling for funding. They're struggling for volunteers. They're struggling for resources. That can include black restaurants. Why you go into that unhealthy Chinese restaurant that's not even selling you real Chinese food? Guess what? Down the street, there's a black created and black owned restaurant that's actually offering sometimes some African vegan options. Kelly. Black people. Our empowerment is 100% about us understanding and learning our own people and understanding the resources that we have available. Yes, white people created these oppressions in terms of racial inequities and many of the class inequities as well. But we need to be honest about how, unfortunately, many of us have been brainwashed to perpetuate it. 
because a lot of Black people, Black men in particular, have determined their success based on how they compare to white men. And that's included, of course, this idea of winning white women as a standard for whether there's really true justice. And you can look at that historically too. So that's my cliff notes. It's hold each other accountable more than just showing up at the next protest. If you're outraged over George Floyd being murdered, <clears throat> let's talk about what we can do to help our people with substance use issues. If we're talking about dismantling police, don't you dare think that this defund police is a new thing. Don't you dare believe white liberals when they say they're the creators of the defund the police movement. Black people have demanded a removal of police since police forces were created in this part of the world to control us after Emancipation Proclamation. And we have black criminologists who also specialize in explaining that. So you gotta understand the origins of these movements. You gotta understand how black people have demanded this for centuries. This is not new stuff, black people. It's not new. Black people have demanded changes to school curriculum for centuries. Even when we were not allowed to attend these schools, including some colleges and universities, indigenous people have demanded it. Just because you're just noticing something now, especially because of Twitter or Instagram, this is literally old stuff. And I keep repeating that everywhere I go because it's so often that black people are told to calm down, stop complaining, changes take time. Guess what? White people have 529 years of terrorism around the world. So we don't have to be patient, compliant, and acceptable. We don't. So change takes time, does not pertain when we're talking about oppressions and inequities in schools, medical health, police, court, prison system, workforce, job, skill training. We've been patient as a people. We have been very patient. We have not done an uprising. Right, right. <laughs> we 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 owe y'all payback. <laughs> I'm just yeah. I don't. I, don't want I mean, because yeah. I mean, we're not talking about. I mean, that's the thing. You know, when we're talking about this work. You know, white people have brainwashed many black people to believe this falsehood that black people doing an uprising means that black people are going to start killing white people. I mean, we have centuries of instances, such as during slavery when the enslaved Africans and black people did an uprising and yes, had to murder the master, master because that's what had to be done because you can't run it from slavery and just leave white people drinking lemonade. But throughout history, when black people are talking about freedom, it really means like leave us alone, but don't leave us alone to right. prove a point against us. Like when police say they're leaving us alone, they are saying they're gonna prove a point. When police say, okay, we're gonna reduce police presence, police departments, and this is literally in every city across the nation, police departments will disappear with the expectation that crimes are gonna occur, violence is gonna occur, police will not show up, and police will use that as evidence and say, see, I told you you need us. And that's both vindictive and it's an example of stolen and abused power. It's just like if you criticize medical doctors, but then you have to go to the emergency room and the doctor lets you die and says, oh, I guess you shouldn't criticize us. It's all the same forms of oppression that white people in particular use to abuse black people for demanding more and complaining. 
just like your employer. If you complain about your employer to the HR and the next day the employer says, here's more paperwork for a new assignment and we're not going to help you, that kind of thing. It's the vindictiveness. So I want Black people to understand you're not doing this work by yourself. There are a lot of Black people locally, nationally, and also internationally who are doing this work so that the people who are in power cannot harm you like they do when you're trying to do this work by yourself. Collaboration is the focus, but white people know that most black people don't collaborate. Mm -hmm. They know that most black people are so desperate to keep their job, for example, including black police, that they're not gonna collaborate. And white people know that that's centuries of the same routine. Mm. Yeah, I'm man, I'm loving this. I am loving this right here. It's, I'm just so, I'm reminded of so many things um coming together forming like voltron we could get a lot more done as a collectively i even read what is what is that book um i can't recollect the name right now but the the, the author said that he would have gotten a lot more work done had he worked with others as opposed to just doing every destruction of black civilization yeah he said he would have got a lot more work done had he worked with people as opposed to just doing everything on his own. And I also believe that um, this dialogue is, is, is being spoken about in a lot of communities. And one thing I try to uh, get people to take away is what are you going to do? You know, everyone can, it's easy to come talk about it, discuss about it, um, just shoot the breeze, kind of mentally masturbate, get your, you know, get, get your feel goods going on. But, you know, I, and I say this to um, anyone listening, what are you going to do? What changes are you going to do in your community? There's a lot that you can do. Dr. Kimia just shared with us. It's a, it's a lot of, this work is not new. So um, what are you going to do? Dr. Kimia, I want to be respectful of your time. We've been rocking for a, a, a approaching an hour now. Um, and there's a question I just want to ask you because I, I like to end things on the, on a lighter note. I've I've done a few assessments. My personality is is kind of like out of the four Ninja Turtles. I will be Michelangelo according to some <laughs> assessments. I, I kind of she's shaking her head as I say that, <laughs> but I just want to um, end the conversation or maybe not even end it. But I just want to ask you like, what are some things that you do for fun? Because I know this work can be tiresome. Um, is, is it a movie? Do you go check movies? Like, what, what do you do on your downtime, so to speak, if you don't mind sharing that? Yeah, and this, thank you for saying that, because everyone needs to have time every day by themselves. And that goes back to what I said about being Black is not synonymous with being oppressed. And, and so what I do every single day is I exercise and I take time to just be by myself. And I listen to a lot of music. So I'm a music person. I use music for everything. So whether I'm teaching a class, doing a presentation, as long as it's Black people in the audience, I don't, I don't entertain white people in that sense. I always have to explain that because, you know, if I'm doing the Goat Rakim lyrics, it's not going to be for a white audience because this right. is not a minstrel show, right? But... <clears throat> But I do want people to understand that I think through music. So even if I'm not doing like an old school hip hop lyric outspoken, I'm still thinking it when I'm talking about something or like what you're saying, Ronnie, 
And when you said, I got a question, what I thought was goat rock him, I got a question as serious as cancer, right? Um, and so for me, that's that's happiness. So like, even if I'm in a space <clears throat> where we're talking about stolen abuse power, sometimes I'll get quiet. And for me, I'm just thinking about some music. And that goes back to thousands of years of African music, African arts, literatures, including Black people in the Western Hemisphere. And so when I do work with, for example, medical and health students, I talk about the importance of art. And thankfully, we do have some medical and health programs that are teaching people how to use art to express health. And so I want people to understand that art, music, literature, that's all can be very relaxing. And it also can send a message when we're talking about dismantling oppression. So for me, exercise, music, my favorite movies are horror movies and I'm talking about real horror. So The Exorcist, uh, gory stuff, international horror are the best and old school martial arts, Bruce Lee. And so, and I love to dance. So right before COVID happened, Smith and Wesson were supposed to, Smith and Wesson, my favorite hip hop duo. I had boycotted them a little bit for, uh, cause of the homophobic lyrics, but they've evolved thankfully as they gotten older. And so they were supposed to do a concert in Baltimore. And so my friend and I had bought our tickets, COVID happened and the black um, planners for the event had to cancel it. And I don't think Smith and Wesson is rescheduling it after COVID. So for me, Goat Rakim, Smith and Wesson, Boot Camp Click, Black Moon, Buckshot, No More Shorty. For me, that's that's my happiness, and I do that literally every day. Got it. I'll, Smith and Wesson, not the Migos. No, no, sorry. <laughs> also, shout out, of course, to Nikki D. You don't see her as much, but like I'm old school hip hop lyric. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, why you got a lyric for everything? I said because. You know, I, I have older brothers, so I would wake up every morning and they're playing like, you know, LL Cool J's Nitro or Fresh Prince, you know, Jazzy Jeff's Brand New Funk. So I just come from that life where like music was the direction for everything. So when I'm chilling, that's what I'm doing. Mm, awesome. I love it. Thank you for your time, Dr. Kimia Nuru Dennis. Just remind us one last time where we can find you. I know you got the website, but do you have like any Instagram or anything like that? Um, please share. No, so I do not have Instagram. I don't understand it. Therefore, I refuse. I, I created an account, but it just doesn't make sense to me. So I haven't put anything on it. As for social media, I am on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I am not a big fan of social media platforms because I first of all they're very much white controlled spaces they allow white people to stalk us online and offline but they're very quick to ban particularly black women who speak out against white terrorism so you can find me on twitter but you'll see that I speak about how white people send me messages every day to harass me so you can find me how do we find you on Twitter? It's at 365diversity. Yep. And so I just want to reiterate, when I speak on Twitter or anywhere else or in podcasts, it's 100% about our people collaborating across identities within our people. 
So if you're someone who believes in things or sins and stuff like that, I might not be the one for you because I really don't believe in a such thing as sinful behavior as many people believe within Black cultures. So I want people to know that when we're talking about collaborating as Black people, it's 100% about collaborating with people who you might not agree with their life, but you have to ask yourself first and foremost, why are you trying to oppress people who are already oppressed within Blackness, like Black LGBTQIA, for example? You know, if you want to collaborate with Black people, it cannot be based on cisgender heterosexual power. So one thing you'll see on 365 Diversity website is it's literally a place to unify our people. And it's about dismantling the power of white people, men, cisgender heterosexual, able health, wealthy people. The people who already have power, the point is to dismantle that power because that power is the reason why we have these inequities in the first place. So if you're someone who wants to come into these spaces and still be powerful as cisgender person or as a white person, you're gonna be bothered because you don't wanna lose your power, but you gotta, you gotta lose your power. Like we can't say, oh, we got justice, but you're still the powerful one. That's not how this works. Yes, I love it. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Kimu, Kimya, sorry. Kimya Nuru. Swahili. My name's a Swahili. Swahili. <laughs> what does it mean? It means awesomeness. No. Oh, <laughs> no it means peace, peace and light. Yeah. Uh-huh. Awesomeness, Dr. Kimya Nuru Dennis of 365 Diversity. Go check her out, 365diversity.com. Also on Twitter at 365diversity. You guys, another from Hood to Good Banger. And from Hood to Good Banger. diversity.com y'all know i'm gonna leave a link in the show notes just click that boy make it easy for <laughs> make it real easy for you anyway hit us up on ig let us know your takeaways let us know how you feel about the episode a lot of noise going in the background but i hope y'all really heard what i said dr came you thank you uh continue to grow from hood to good Let's get it.